Hi, listeners. Today's episode features an extended excerpt from Margarita Montemore's new audiobook, Acts of Violet, about missing magician Violet Volk and the podcast host determined to uncover the details behind her mysterious disappearance. When I get home from work, the first thing I see is that stack of flyers. Hot pink papers glowing from the top of the credenza like they're radioactive. I drop my keys into a candy dish beside the stack. These damn things are plastered all over town, and now they're in my home. I grab the flyers without looking at them and follow the sound of lighthearted bickering coming from the kitchen. Do you know how many Sudoku apps there are out there? You can do, like... Millions of puzzles for free without killing trees. Quinn's earnest voice trails down the hall. I reach the doorway and find her at the stove with Gabriel, both facing away from me. But I get so much more pleasure from Sudoku when tree murder is involved, Gabriel says, stirring a pot of chili, which infuses the room with an aromatic combo of garlic and cumin. And you won't bring the trees back to life by taking that away from me. Quinn holds up a paperback with 222 Sudoku printed across the glossy cover in blue letters. It's just such a waste. I hope you'll at least recycle it. With a scoff, she tosses it onto the dining table. Careful, kiddo. You're starting to sound like that preachy vegan you brought to Thanksgiving last year. He spots me before Quinn does and winks, tilting his head at our daughter as if to say, Can you believe this one? I'm nowhere near as annoying as Nancy Trevino. How dare you? Her head whips over to see what Gabriel is looking at. Tell him, Mom. I don't know. I think you're one earnest lecture away from Trevino territory. You need to cut us old people some slack when it comes to printed media. Besides, I have something better for the recycling bin. A satisfying thud as I drop the stack of flyers on the counter. Why do we have these? And since when do I not get a proper hello? Hi, Mom. Quinn shuffles over to me. Should we hug now or after we argue? She uses her palms as imaginary scales, weighing the decision. Opening my arms, I say, I'll take a hug now, and we don't need to argue at all. Embracing my daughter feels like hugging a rack of clothing with all the layers she's wearing, a nesting doll of baggy t-shirts, sweaters, and hoodies. I see you decided it would be easier to wear all your clothes instead of packing a bag. Over Quinn's shoulder, Gabriel looks up from stirring and breaks into a grin. Good one, he mouths at me. I air kiss him and then real kiss Quinn's cheek, catching a whiff of the cinnamon gum she's always chomping on. Aren't you supposed to be on your way to Baltimore for some job fair? It'll be months before Quinn graduates from college and moves out, though I'm already bracing myself for a wicked and prolonged bout of empty nest syndrome. It's a renewable energy conference and career fair. I decided to have dinner with my parents and drive down early tomorrow instead, because I'm a good daughter like that. You're okay, I suppose. I ruffle her short mop of dark wavy hair, which she inherited from Gabriel, and she squirms away, casting a nervous look at the sheaf of pink flyers. All right. Enough with the niceties. What's the deal with those? Uncertainty flutters across her face and settles into the tight corners of her mouth. Funny story. 
Maybe not funny, but... So, I was at Lowe's the other week. The smoke tree needs to be repotted, and if I don't do it, no one will. <laughs> and I ran into Mrs. Toback. We checked out the gardening area, and she did her nosy thing, asking how my last year at SJU was going, and did I know what I was going to do after graduating. I told her I dropped out months ago to fulfill my beekeeping dreams and start my own line of artisanal honey. Quinn? Okay, so... Maybe I told her I could go different ways with an environmental science degree, and I was still figuring that out. And maybe the topic of bees didn't come up. But we got to talking about Aunt Violet, because Mrs. T always finds some way to mention her. And of course, the vigil came up, and her being one of the organizers. She asked was I sure I didn't want to say a few words, or read a poem or something because it would mean so much for a family member to speak, and we all know it's not going to be you. My nostrils flare. She did not say that last part. Stop trying to freak out your mother, kiddo. Gabriel gives me a don't-mind-her shake of his head. Of course, she didn't say that, but it was kind of implied. Her shoulder twitches up in a partial shrug. I swear, that woman is such a pest. She gets judgy because I don't feel comfortable addressing a horde of thousands, and now she's hounding you to do it. I open the fridge and rummage around for salad ingredients, feeling a sudden urge to chop things up with a big knife. So how'd you get out of being roped into her vigil shenanigans? I ask her. A pause, and her dark doe eyes glint. I told her to fuck off. My gasp is involuntary. You did not. Mom... Can you stop acting like we've never met before? I was super polite to Mrs. Toback, like always. I even insisted on carrying a 20-pound bag of fertilizer to her car for her, which is when I told her I'm not so great with the public speaking. She grabs my wrist before I can reach for the knife block. Actually, could we have the rest of this conversation away from the sharp objects? I back away from the counter slowly until my hip grazes the kitchen table. What's going on? What did you do that I'm gonna hate? A downward glance at the stack of flyers, and I see now these are different from the ones wallpapering Willow Glen. There's a new name in the list of featured speakers. Quinn, what the fuck? Mrs. T thinks this would be good for me. Raising her chin to a stubborn angle, her voice is firm as she says, I think so too. Good for you, how? Oh, how I want to sweep those flyers to the floor, or better yet, shred each one by hand. She doesn't remember the fallout from the last time she had that many eyeballs on her. She believes her anxiety and phobias are innate, like the mole above her lip or her strawberry allergy. You throw up any time you have to give a speech to more than two people. You won't even do karaoke. All the more reason I should speak at the vigil. Face my fears and all that. She grabs the stack of flyers and holds them to her chest like a shield. Face your fears in front of thousands of strangers, like an extreme form of immersion therapy. Nodding, I pretend this is a sound plan. So when you were a kid and went through your phase of being deathly afraid of water, should I have taken you on a cruise and thrown you overboard? Because that's kind of what Mrs. Toback is doing to you here. 
Quinn goes pale at the suggestion and mutters. I thought parents were supposed to be supportive and shit. Before I can respond, Gabriel steps in, putting a hand on each of our shoulders. Okay, let's take it down a notch. He turns to me. I know you're just looking out for our daughter, but we gotta trust her to make her own decisions and take risks once in a while. He turns to Quinn. And you know your parents are supportive and shit, but I think you might be forgetting how hard it is on your mother dealing with all the extra 10-year anniversary hysteria. Still sullen, Quinn shoots me a doubtful look. Is it hard on you, though? You seem more annoyed than anything. Of course I'm annoyed. I've been immersed in the purgatory of my sister's disappearance for the past decade. I think about her every fucking day. But since I prefer to avoid big emotional displays, I get criticized for not caring enough about her absence, mostly by people I don't know, sometimes by the one I gave birth to. It's bad enough every anniversary brings up extra violet worship, but something about round numbers makes people lose their minds. Why is 10 years more noteworthy than 9 or 11? It's all so arbitrary. Yet I'm being inundated with reminders of my sister, online and off, when avoiding the tidal pull of her memory is already impossible. So yeah, I'm annoyed, along with other things I can't verbalize, not even to my husband or daughter. Something about my weary silence chastens Quinn. Sorry, Mom, she relents. Is that hashtag Violet is back stuff messing with you too? I know I shouldn't, but I can't stop checking the posts. Oh, God. All I need is for her to get her hopes up again. You know none of the photos are really her, right? It's all a fad or some bullshit marketing gimmick. Gabriel squeezes my shoulder, silently urging me to take it easy. But yeah, it is kind of messing with me, to be honest. My hands need something to do, so I rinse off the head of lettuce and tear it by hand into a salad bowl. There's just so much happening all at once. Books, podcasts, TV shows. It's easier to handle when it's more sporadic, you know? Yeah, it's a lot. If I can be extra honest, I say. I didn't even want to go to the vigil this year. You never want to go, Gabriel and Quinn say in unison. Jinx, they add and share a chuckle. Must be nice to be so in sync. I return to the knife block, grab a blade, and take my frustration out on the tomatoes. At least this year we can skip the I'm not going to the vigil tug of war, Quinn says. Right. I don't turn around as I chop away. Because being the grieving sister and supportive mother takes top priority. And how lucky am I. This year, not only do I get to be judged by more people than ever, but I also get to worry about my daughter having a panic attack in front of all those extra people. Can't wait. Damn, we were so close to having a pleasant dinner. A glance over my shoulder and I catch the reassuring smile Gabriel gives Quinn, the let me handle this nod. But I won't be handled, not this time. Sweetheart, don't get upset, Gabriel murmurs in my ear and massages the back of my neck. I know how much it sucks for you to go. No, he doesn't. Nobody does. Just recalling last year's vigil makes my skin crawl. The pain and tedium of the whole thing. 
How many times would I have to endure the same compliments heaped on my sister by people who didn't actually know her? The same questions and speculations. Every year, by the time we get to the moment of silence, I have to clench my jaw shut to keep from uttering the screams that have been boiling inside me for hours. How could you all let her fool you for so long? I want to shout. She didn't care about entertaining or enlightening anyone. She only wanted to get paid. I'll be standing there, fake smiling as someone blathers on about how Violet changed their life. And wasn't her work so important? And wasn't she a gift taken from us too soon? And it'll be all I can do not to shatter that reverence and howl. She wasn't a hero. She was a liar and a cheat. None of us meant anything to her, not even me. We were all just her marks. Every year, I have to listen and stay silent. This year, I'll also have to listen to my daughter heap accolades on a woman who almost killed her and stay silent. I don't know if I can show that much restraint. I'm not gonna have a panic attack, Mom. Quinn's exasperation brings me back to the present. I've been taking my meds. I'll make sure I eat right and sleep enough, and I'm gonna practice my speech like a thousand times beforehand. Do you even know what you're going to say? I ask. Not really. I can't remember much since I was, what, in second grade the last time I talked to her? Weird how none of us had contact with her for years before she went missing. Her words are sharp and launched with target precision. And maybe I'd have more to say if you actually told me more about her. Unless you prefer to share your thoughts with the internet? I shove the cutting board away from me and whip around. What is that supposed to mean? Nothing. Quinn, is this about that takedown? You can't possibly think I was behind it. If you say so. Her eyes remain narrowed. A month before Violet vanished, a website called violetisafraud.com went viral. Its sole content was a scathing anonymous essay ripping my sister to shreds. Naturally, the immediate consensus was that only someone close to Violet could author something so intimate and furious. Naturally, I was the prime suspect. I thought I'd managed to convince at least my own daughter that it wasn't me. Apparently not. Ironically, I did manage to convince Quinn the majority of that takedown was baseless drivel, so she wouldn't believe the worst things about her aunt. Maybe that was a mistake. I don't get it. Quinn continues. Why is it such a big deal for you to come out once a year to honor Aunt Violet? I mean, it makes me miss her like crazy. But I like people celebrating and remembering her. Those strangers tell me more about her than you ever do. Her skepticism of me mutates into something worse. Disappointment. You won't even say why you want to skip it. I mean, the real reason instead of bullshit excuses about it being too emotional for you. What's the real story? Jealousy? I mean, you obviously hate her being one of my role models. No, I don't. That's a lie. It eats at me that my daughter looks up to someone unworthy of her adoration, and I've been sorely tempted to tell her the harsh truth. But I won't. Life will find endless ways to carve cynical edges into her. Is it so wrong to want to keep her bubble-wrapped and protected a little longer? It's not jealousy, 
Violet and I weren't on the best terms when she disappeared. But I think I was starting to understand her a little better. I actually felt kind of sorry for her. That used to be a lie. But over the years, my vitriol has evolved into pity. I saw what fame and money had done to her. I just feel like I'm reliving the immediate aftermath. All the worst parts of her going missing every time I go to the vigils. It resurfaces things. Yeah, for me too. Quinn's eyes go big and shiny. But you had decades with her. I have only some childhood memories. Remembering her, thinking about losing her, it all hurts. But not honoring her at all. I don't know. I feel like that would hurt me more. Are you sure? I don't know if she's right about that. Listen, sweetheart, placing my hands on her shoulders, I measure my words like a chemist with beakers of volatile compounds. I know this takes a toll on you, too. I don't want you to be let down again. Every vigil, Quinn paces the crowd. The first time, I thought it was her way of shedding nervous energy and expressing her grief. It would be a lot for any 12-year-old to handle. The following year, just after we entered the park, she sprinted away from me, over to a bench where a slender, dark-haired woman in a trench coat sat reading a magazine. By the time I caught up, I heard Quinn say, Oh, never mind, which earned her a sympathetic smile from the woman. My heart found a new way to break that day. Ever since, my discomfort at the vigils is compounded by Quinn's scrutiny of the attendees and her yearning to discover her aunt among them. Seeing that hopeful glint in her eyes get extinguished year after year is brutal. Back in the kitchen, Quinn stares up at me, her jaw set. I want to speak at the vigil, and I need you to have my back on this, Mom. That's it, then. Of course. Gabriel links an arm around my waist and offers Quinn a soft smile. Having your back is pretty much our mission statement, kiddo. Bolstered by her advantage, Quinn adopts a gentler tone. I understand why you want to skip this thing. But people in Willow Glen talk. I don't want them to become suspicious again that you're hiding something, or that there's bad blood between you two. Me neither. Because I am, and there is. It's not about hiding it from the residents of Willow Glen, though. I don't care what this town thinks, or Violet's fans, or anyone except for the freckled girl standing before me who's no longer a girl, who inherited my husband's soulful eyes and my dimpled chin. Somehow, she also managed to inherit my sister's fiery convictions. Gesturing to the pot of chili, Gabriel says, Now can we eat dinner like a family who likes each other? At the table, he and Quinn are too busy talking true crime shows to notice I'm not saying or eating much. They chatter on about which dramatizations they're most excited about. Versace, Tupac and Biggie Smalls, or Waco. I wonder how many similar conversations are going on elsewhere, and how many are including the Violet miniseries. Does her case count as true crime if we don't know what happened? Over the years, I've had family members of other missing people reach out to me. It's a club nobody wants to be part of, and you don't get a choice whether you join. 
Sometimes it was comforting to hear from other people forced to live in this limbo. Most of the time, it made me feel like I wasn't sad or desperate enough to find Violet. That's the accusation I've gotten more than any other. From the press, from the wolf pack, from this town, even from my own daughter. How much am I supposed to put on hold for this search? And how do I stop feeling like an asshole for trying to get on with my life? Not to mention, how long and hard should I look for someone who might not want to be found? Nearly ten years later, the questions still linger. They call themselves survivors, the loved ones of those who went missing. But that's not what I am. Not really. I wish there was a special word for those of us living with ambiguous loss. There isn't a language that feels right, a sensical way to parse out and assign definitions to the thoughts and emotions. Usually, I don't think of myself as surviving anything. Usually, I see myself as someone who was left behind. All this criticism over the last decade about how I wasn't doing enough to find Violet, how I wasn't grieving her loss correctly. And not once has anyone ever pointed out that I'm still here. Ten years I've remained in the same house, kept the same phone number. Ten years I've held my tongue. Tonight, it's easy being quiet. Tomorrow, it might not be so easy. There's only so long I'll be able to remain silent. Violet thrived on secrecy. It was the fuel that made her engine run. Her entire sense of self was built on making others believe she possessed hidden knowledge and abilities. I'm not built the same way. Keeping Violet's secrets has been like living with a bomb planted inside me. One of these days, it's going to detonate, and it won't be pretty. Thanks for listening. Acts of Violet by Margarita Montemore is on sale next week. To hear more, pre-order the book or audiobook now. <laughs>